good to see everybody this morning. Hope you're doing good. You're looking good. Jeremiah 31. The title of my message today is simply, God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. You say, well, pastor, are you sure? Well, I hope by the end of the message, you're sure, because I'm sure God's not mad at you. Your wife may be. Your sister-in-law may be, but God's not. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, it says, I want to read this to you from the Message Bible, and then I will read it to you from the New King James. But the Message says, They found grace out in the desert, these people who survived the killing. Israel out looking for a place to rest, met God out looking for them. God said to them, listen to this, this is what God said to them. I've never quit loving you and never will. I've never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, love, and more love. And so now... I will start over with you and build. I believe the word of the Lord today for all of us is, I'm not mad at you. That's the word from the Lord today. The New King James reads this, says, The Lord has appeared of old and said to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's what he says, with an everlasting love. Therefore, by loving kindness, I have drawn you. You know, one of the things that happens to us is that we sit down and we read the Bible and we begin reading in the Old Testament and you read through the Old Testament and you read in there where the ground opened up and swallowed people. You read in there that a fire burned a rebellious men to ashes. You read in there that the Amalekites were wiped out with no mercy at all. God wanted them completely destroyed. You read that in the Old Testament. You look at all the children of Israel as they were in the wilderness and the warriors and the whiners were wiped out in the wilderness wandering around. Yet God comes to them at the end and he says, I've loved you, I've never quit loving you. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land because he hit a rock too many times with his staff. So it's understandable that when you read stories like these, when you read what took place in the Old Testament, it's not hard for us to believe that the sin of rebellion and insurrection made God mad, and a lot of people believe that. When the law of Moses was read to the people in the book of Deuteronomy, God promised curses to them, sin brought curses, sin was punished. If you just casually read the historical books 
of the Bible, the historical books about the nation of Israel, it appears when you read those books that if you sin, it appears, if you sin, God's mad. That's just the casual reader. That's what you think when you read this. The other thing, and again, I'm not meaning to be critical, but in legalistic denominations of Christianity, parents still scold their children when they're disobedient with words like shame on you, with stuff like God's going to get you. Parents still do that. Do you all realize that? God's going to get you. That's what they've been told. Some of you were told that growing up. And most all of us were told, you better not pout. You better not cry. You better be good. I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus come to town. You got to be good. So we grew up thinking you got to be good to get something. That's just how it was. I'm looking at you this morning and I'm saying we have developed a false theology from the Old Covenant. Now listen carefully to me say this. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when you read about Adam and Eve, and when Adam and Eve sin. There is absolutely no mention whatsoever that God got mad. It's not even mentioned. It's not even implied. Nowhere is it said that God was mad. The message in Genesis 3 was not if you sin, God gets angry. The message was sin brings death. God wasn't mad about it. He just simply said, you know, this thing is designed in such a way that if you sin, what's going to happen is you're going to die. Death means a separation. You you are separated. And so man made a choice, and sin brought death. It's amazing to me that God didn't open up the ground and swallow up Adam and Eve. He never burnt them with a fire. No fire consumed them. God immediately began a process of offering up the blood of animals as a sacrifice for the sins to cover their sins. And the blood of animals operated in a fashion that God's grace immediately went into effect. Stop and think for a moment. God didn't just wipe them off the planet. He began to atone with blood for their sins. And it began with animal sacrifices and 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 then when they realized they were naked they took the skin of the animals to cover themselves it was just something that took place but both of those things were provisions of grace can you say grace now listen carefully in Romans chapter 5 Romans the fifth chapter verse 20 says moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Watch this. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So the grace of God was manifested in various ways throughout the entire Old Testament. 
But you know what the center stage of the New Testament and the New Covenant is? Grace. Again, say grace with me. Look at somebody and say, you need some grace. Here it is spelled out in Jeremiah chapter 31. If you go back to Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. And beginning at verse 31. Everybody, this is Old Testament. He's spelling out. Adam and Eve sinned. He started sacrifice. Grace went into operation to cover sins immediately. He didn't swallow them up. He didn't kill them. He didn't destroy them. He just said, when you sin, death's going to separate you from me, and I'm going to begin to make atonement for you. And he started with blood sacrifices. But here in Jeremiah, he begins to say, and listen to what he says. He said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So here you are back in the Old Covenant, the prophet of the Lord speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, I will forgive your iniquity in the new covenant. And he says, I will no longer remember your sin. Is that good news? Is that something to be excited about? This new covenant is, I will forgive. I don't have to question it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go, go, go begging God for anything. He says, I will forgive your iniquity. And he says, and your sin, I will remember no more. This covenant, this new covenant that he put into operation, even cancels the former fear of the sins of the Father. I'll say this, April called me this week, and she goes, what, what about all these curses? Curses of my father's. I, I, what, 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 why do I have to deal with what my family's done? I said, April, you don't. You don't have to deal with that. Jesus took care of all those curses. You don't have to worry about that. Few minutes later, I get a text. I'm so happy. This new covenant, listen to me, cancels the former fear that the sins of the father will be visited on the children. Under the new covenant, under the new covenant, all sins will be carried away, and it says, remembered no more. Can I tell you something? Your past sins, 
don't even have visitation rights. They don't even have visitation rights. You may remember what you did, but that sin has no way of coming back on you because the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed you from all sin. Now, when Jesus came on the scene and He showed up to inaugurate a new covenant, when He came with this new covenant, His ministry and, and, and teaching that He brought went into effect And he brought into an effect the power of grace, that the grace of God had come. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and Jesus came to inaugurate this new covenant. So if you start looking in the Gospels about the life of Jesus, when Jesus came, he didn't come swallowing people up, he didn't come burning people, he didn't come condemning people, he didn't come criticizing people, Jesus came and when Jesus uh, met in Mark chapter 2, you remember the, the paralytic, he, he looked at the paralytic and he said, your sins are forgiven you. Do, do you understand? He didn't look at him and say, now if you do this, 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 and this, you'll be forgiven. He just looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Why? He knew they were. When Jesus met the woman who was caught in adultery, And he came to her there. He looked at her and he said to her, I do not condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. He that is without sin, he said, cast the first stone. You start reading about the life of Jesus. And and, and do you all understand Jesus hung out with sinners? Do you all realize that? Jesus hung out with sinners. Listen to me. Apparently, he wasn't mad at them if he hung out with them. Now, one of the best stories to me, and we've preached it numerous times, you've heard it preached, is that, you know, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son went to his father, got his inheritance, wasted all of his inheritance on righteous living, And when he decides that even the servants at his father's house has it better, he came back to his father, and his father, as a representative of God the Father, his father wasn't mad when he got back. Before the boy could get out everything that was going on in his life and that what he wanted to do, the dad started sending people to say, we're going to throw a party. You're here. Let's have a party. Are you hearing me today? Why? Because... One of his sons, one of his children had come home. He wasn't mad not speaking to him. I'd like to look every one of you right now square in the eye and say to every one of you, God's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm mad at him. (laughs) You're mad at him because you think he's mad at you and he's not. Again, look at somebody and tell them, will you? God's not mad at you. Pastor, how do you know that God's not mad at us? Well, he told us in the Old Testament. I've 
on purpose chosen verses out of the Old Testament to tell you that this new covenant that he makes is a better covenant, that, that he's not mad. 700 years before Jesus was born in a manger, listen to this, 700 years before he was born in a manger, the prophet Isaiah describes the death of Jesus for our sins. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53 Beginning at verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers was silent. Here we have 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah describing the death of Jesus for our sins, for our iniquities. Hundreds of years in advance, it's clear that this Jesus, this suffering servant, would take away our sins and make provision for you and I to live right with God. Y'all realize that's what he's doing right here? He is making a provision for you and I to be in a right relationship with God. And then what does he do? You go to chapter 54 of Isaiah, and it starts out in chapter 54. Well, you ought to have some joy. You need to start singing songs. You need to start rejoicing. The reason we come and sing songs and rejoice is because our sins have been forgiven. And we worship him because of that. That's exactly what happened here in Isaiah, the 54th chapter. They sing. Why? What's up? Because our sins have been taken away and it's finished. Do you realize? Do you realize I can look anybody on planet earth right in the eye when they look at me and say, what am I going to do about my sinful life? And I can look at them and say, invite Jesus in and his finished work and what he did. And when he comes into your heart, pow, your sins are gone. Just like that. Just that instant. Why? Because that's what Scripture teaches. Now, hear me say this. Listen carefully to what I'm wanting to say to you. In verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 54, down in verse 9, it says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Do you realize that when God made the covenant with Noah, He says, I will not be angry with you. You know what that tells me? God's not mad at you. God's no longer mad at us. 
Y'all understand that? Do you realize that the world doesn't know this good news? That God's no longer mad at us. All right. Have you got the message? Have you got the message? Look at somebody and say, God's not mad at you. Would you tell somebody, say, God's not mad at you. Now, let me just talk a little bit. Let me meddle just a hair. See, here's, what's ha- here's what happens. We get around church people, and when you get around church people, church people will imply that if you don't read your Bible like they do, and if you don't pray like they do, and you don't go to church like they do, God's upset with you. Y'all know anybody like that? Don't look around right now. Huh? How many of you know that? How many of you know you get around church people and church people want to say, you know, if you really loved God, you'd read your Bible 14 hours a day. You'd get up at 5 o'clock every morning and pray. I tried getting up and coming out here at 5 o'clock in the morning and these front seats got wet because I'd fall asleep and slobber all over. I came to church out here one morning, praying, sitting right here on that seat right there, and fell asleep and got in there and come and said, what'd you spill over you? The whole front of my shirt was wet from slobber coming out of my mouth. Y'all don't do that, do you? Now listen carefully to what I'm trying to say to you. People want to imply that God gets mad and God gets upset because you don't do certain things. So many of us have been taught to believe that if we sin, if we sin, then we should not be expecting God to bless us. Whether we say it or not, it's implied in much of what we do. Much of what we do, we've been taught to believe that God is ready to get back at us for sinning. That's what many of us believe. But I want you to hear me say this. That's just simply not true. See, one of the things that I've learned is we want to make God the Father the kind of Father that we be. Instead of us trying to become like God, we want to make God like us. And because when we get mad when somebody does wrong, we think that God's like us, and so He must get mad too. God's not like you. You're supposed to be like God. Quit trying to make God what you are and start understanding who God is. God's not like us. We're supposed to be like God. I'm learning how to be more like God. I'm not trying to get God to be more like me. How many of you understand that? I need to be more like God. We interpret misfortunes in our life that God is disappointed with us. Let me give you an example. Somebody has a flat tire, and, the, and there's a lot of Christians say, I wonder what you did wrong. Your refrigerator breaks. Huh? You lose a client. Your air conditioner goes out. I went home this week, and Sheila said, 
I don't know what's wrong with this air conditioner. I called the air conditioning guy, and he says, it's broke. I said, what are you saying? It's hot. What are we going to do? He said, well, the good news is you've had it nine years, and you've got a 10-year warranty. Cha-ching. I could have blamed God or something I did for it being broke, but y'all know what happens with stuff that you have here on the earth? breaks. Refrigerators quit working. Stoves quit working. Air conditioners quit working. You get flat tires. And there's a lot of people who will look at you and say, well, now the reason that happened is God's trying to teach you a lesson. Huh? That's the way we add it. That's our attitude. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? We have this mindset, what did I do wrong because something breaks? Can I help you all with something? I got some friends who's old, and their refrigerator still works. I walked into a house the other day, and they had a refrigerator that was one solid door, round like this, and there was a handle on it that came up, and you pulled the handle out like this, and the whole door opened. I hadn't seen a refrigerator like that since I was a little boy. I didn't hear what he said. Huh? Oh. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm kind of glad that that other refrigerator we had broke because I'd probably still have one something like that. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Now, Some of you are of the opinion that you are unworthy, that you are despicable, that you are a disappointment to God. And some of us think like this, I sin so bad, God must be mad at me. You ever get upset at yourself for doing the same dumb thing over and over? Sure you do. And when you get upset at you, you think God's like you, so you think God's upset at you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that his anger was exhausted at the cross. Listen to me say this. Both the penalty phase and the punishment phase of your sin, the penalty phase and the punishment phase, are over and finished. Did you know that? You know, they were looking at a dictionary to try to find the definition. They were talking about what's the difference in being complete and finished. They said complete and finished was the same thing. And a guy spoke up and said, no, no, that's not true. Well, the dictionary has a real hard time in defining complete and finished. He said, well, let me explain it to you like this. He says, when you are going to get married and you find the woman that is your mate for life, you are complete. If you get the right woman, you are complete. He said, but if you get the wrong woman, you are finished. (laughs) And he says, if you're married to the wrong woman and try to hook up with the right woman, I want you to know you're completely finished. 
meanings of words. Listen to me. God has paid both the penalty for your sin and the punishment for your sin. Christ paid both. Your penalty's been paid and your punishment. Listen to me say this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you received his death as your death. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for me, he died as me. He took my sin to the cross. He took your sin to the cross. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. So God forgave you of your sins, God forgot your sins, and when he forgave you and he forgot your sins, then God is finishing, he's finished with punishing anybody for your sins. You know, he chose the cross of Christ to be the focal point of his wrath. And there at the cross, he finished being mad about sin. Jesus said, I'll take all of the sins of the world upon me. By the way, let me just say this since we're here. Pastor, it's obvious because you're a grace preacher, that you uh, aren't remembering that there's going to come a great tribulation. And in the great tribulation, Pastor, there's going to be all kinds of bad thinkings that happen to everybody on the earth. Let me just help you. If you'll sit down and read your New Testament from beginning to end, you will find that tribulation and what happens in tribulation, no matter whether you're pre-mid, post, whatever your end-time theology is, it doesn't matter what it is, it's not for God's children. Tribulation has nothing to do with the children of God. It's for evil. He's going to deal with evil and people who have rejected. It's not about those of us who have come into the family called grace that judgment's not for his children aren't you glad let me, let me just ask you this question how can you be punished for sins that he says he remembers no more will you tell me will you explain to me how he's going to punish you for some sins that he says he no longer remembers I mean, that'd be like you calling your kids in and say, I know y'all have done something today. I'm just going to whip you for the sake of whipping you. God's not like you. God doesn't do things that way. He doesn't remember your sin. The issue of our sins is over and finished. Now, however, let me, let me, let me try to make a couple statements here that will help you. How many of you realize that even though our sins are forgiven, He's not finished with the transformation of our souls and delivering us from our stories? You know, I don't know how to say much about it, but you know, there's, there's your phone updates, and, and if you're on Facebook, it has this thing, and it says, update your story, talk about your story. Well, I, I, don't, I don't really have any desire to tell my story on Facebook, so I don't update my story. You, you understand what I'm saying? 
but, but everybody has their story, and it'll come up, it'll show up, so-and-so has updated their story, and it'll, it'll go to that, and, and, and here's, here's what I'm trying to get across to you, but he is finished, he is finished with punishing you for your sins because he has paid the price for every sin you have ever have committed or will commit. It's a finished work. He doesn't approve of your sin. He doesn't think that your sin is okay. So he does discipline those that he loves. Discipline is far different than punishment. Discipline is something you do for somebody. Punishment is something you do to somebody. Discipline, when you discipline your children, you're trying to make your children better. You're not trying to pay them for something they did wrong. Punishment is different than discipline. And he does discipline those he loves. Discipline, disciple. Discipline, disciple. He wants to disciple us. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to be more like Him. So He's constantly dealing with us, helping us to become more like Him. He prunes the, van- the branches on the vine. All of that's true. But He does not punish you and He is not mad at you. Do you understand there's a difference in being disciplined and being punished? And God is not mad at you. Now, I want to try to wrap this up. And here's what I want to say to you. Even though God doesn't punish you, even though God isn't mad at you, your sister-in-law may be. And because she's mad about you, she may judge you. She may talk about you. Your mate may be mad at you. Don't don't nudge anybody. Don't look at anybody. I want to get this straight. I want to understand. It's one thing for your brother-in-law to be mad at you. But that doesn't mean God's mad at you. Now what happens in churches is your wife gets mad at you. She talks to your sister, her sister, which is your sister-in-law. And so now your wife is not the only one mad at you. Your wife is mad at you, and your sister-in-law is mad at you. And your brother-in-law, who's married to your sister-in-law, teaches the Bible study at the church, and she talks to her husband. And so you go to Bible study, and you think he's mad at you too. Y'all understand that? Huh? So we get to looking around and, you know, so-and-so is friends with so-and-so. And if they're mad at me, I bet they, I could tell by the way they looked at me, they're mad at me too. And so we leave church thinking they're mad at me. I've left here on Sundays thinking the whole cotton-picking caboodle of you all are mad. And I've gone home and I've looked at my lovely wife and I said, honey, I think I made everybody mad today. She said, no, you're mad. Which made me madder. She said, because you are mad about something, you think everybody else is mad. Everybody else ain't mad just because you get mad. But the point I'm trying to get across to you is your sister-in-law can be mad, your brother-in-law can be mad, your wife can be mad. Choir director can be mad. The Bible teacher can be mad. 
But God's not mad just because they are. I'd have thought by now I'd have got an amen out of that, but not a soul. Listen carefully to me. I get up before the church sometimes and I confess my sins. And then when I confess my sins, trying to do what I need to do or say what I need to say or be honest or open to somebody, it's real easy for you to think somebody's mad at you. But I can assure you that even though somebody else gets mad at you for something you've done, God's not mad at you. Y'all know there's a verse in the Bible that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Listen to me say this. God said he forgives us our iniquities and he remembers them no more. What I'm saying to you is because of what Jesus did, God is finished judging you and condemning you. Your church family may not be finished yet, but God is. He will not judge you. He will not confess. He will not uh, condemn you. God wants to grow you in righteousness. And a lot of people just want to bury you in condemnation. They just want to talk about you. But guys, I realize that what I'm saying today for some of you may seem foreign to you. But let me read you some scriptures in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, by what? you got to start believing God's not mad. That's called faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Reconciliation. He's not mad. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That, uh, too, kind of sounds to me like God's not mad. Now, I want to try to close and say this. Even though God is not mad at you, our sin does grieve God. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grief. That's what he feels. He feels grief. Can I tell you this? Our sins grieve God. He's not mad. He's grieved. He's grieved because of our sins and how we behave and things we do and things we say. It's not because it hurts him, but he knows how much it's hurting us. He's grieved because he understands 
How many of you in childhood were bullied or abused or betrayed as a child? It hurt you. It didn't hurt the person who was bullying you. He's grieved. He's not mad. And he loves you even though he's grieved. And I want to say it clear. He is not interested in punishing you. Punishment is not what's on God's mind. Transforming you is what he's after. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, not the anger, not the wrath, not the malice, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. How many of you have ever, you know, God loves you. He accepts you just the way you are. And he forgives you. How many of you know what happens if you don't forgive somebody who's done something to you? Huh? Who gets hurt when you don't forgive? Forgiveness is one of those things that we, we really misunderstand, and we, we get mad because somebody does something to us. And because they do something to us, we get mad and we stay mad, and the other person forgets what they did. You stay mad, you stay angry, and you think God's like you. Do you know how you get freedom from your past hurts? Forgiveness. never going to be free as long as you're holding something against somebody I'm not saying it's easy to do but I'm just simply saying if you're going to be like God and God's not mad at you you can't be mad at other people forgiveness Lord help me to forgive he loves you he accepts you he forgives you, and he's not mad at you. Stand with me, would you? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, you know everyone that's here today. You see everything that's going on in our hearts and in our lives. So, Lord, today I'm asking you, help us to understand you're not mad. You're not angry. You're not upset. You love us. Just the way we are, you love us. So, Father, I ask you to just encourage each one today, strengthen each one, be with each one, and help us to walk in your grace and your mercy. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before we dismiss, there's a couple of things I want to tell you. The fellow that's been in the paper that was missing, they found him last night at 9 o'clock. It's Ernie's daddy. Ernie that plays the guitar and Brenda, it's Ernie's daddy. Found him. He was in a cave, dehydrated, hadn't had his insulin for a couple of days, but he's fine. And he just wandered off, didn't know where he was. He's lost, and we're grateful for that. He's, he's found. One of the ladies in our, that attend our uh, CR uh, was hit by an automobile last night and passed away during the night. You need to know that. And um, you also need to be aware that Karen's son, Eric Eggleston, uh, they found him deceased yesterday afternoon, and you just need to remember Karen and your prayers, okay? I just appreciate that. I love you from the bottom of my heart, and I appreciate you so much. And let me, let me just tell you, there's some people around you right now. There's some people in this service. You're dealing with a variety of things. We come into a service like this and major things going on in our lives, but God loves us. I love the Hubbard family that's trying to get out the door before I see them. I love you guys. God's good, amen? That's my next door neighbor. It's all right. I came home from Karen's last night and he called me over and accepted Christ. Ain't that great? Huh? Isn't that good news? Isn't God good? <laughs> Altar's open if you need prayer for anything, but I want you to leave here today knowing one thing. What is it? God's not mad. So you need to get over it too. Be like him. Quit being like you. Quit being like somebody you don't like. Be like God. I love you. You're dismissed. Thanks for being here.